Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission. They returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. I wanted to uh, make a couple of comments about my sermon from last week. I had, th- I had three people who came to me afterwards, at, uh, some one right afterwards and then a couple more during the week, who said, I don't get what you said. And uh, what they were saying was, Kelly, you seem to be saying in your sermon from last week that the reason that God doesn't answer our prayers is because we have an ask. And if a person asks, they'll get. And so just make sure you ask. Well, that is what I said. That's true. But I said that in a very specific context, or at least, at least I meant that in a very uh, specific context. I didn't mean to say, and so if you took me this way, I, I, this is important for me to actually say to people who may have taken me this way, because if you did, what I said last week could have sounded very calloused. And I want to make sure that you didn't take me that way. I did not mean that if we're praying for something, say for an illness of a loved one, that if that illness doesn't go away after we've prayed for it, that somehow the problem is with us, that we haven't prayed sufficiently, we haven't prayed enough, we haven't prayed adequately. I did not mean to imply that in any way. I don't believe that, actually. Um, and I've talked about that kind of thing from here before, from the pulpit before, and so I, I wouldn't want you to think that that's what I in any way meant. What I meant was a very specific application of the notion that God doesn't answer our prayers sometimes because we don't ask. And what I meant was specifically the application to the life of the church. And that was the, the context, the whole notion of God through his spirit not blessing us sometimes as churches or as the church at large because we haven't sufficiently gone to him in prayer. And I am convinced of that. I think that sometimes the church doesn't uh, move forward as rapidly as it could. It's not blessed as much by God as it otherwise could be because we haven't asked sufficiently. And I think if the prayer, if the church was to pray, uh, spend significant amounts of time in prayer, asking God to bless us in various ways, that he would. There are various reasons why God doesn't answer prayer. Sometimes it's because it's not God's will to answer the specific thing that we're asked, you know, that we're asking for. Sometimes it is true. We don't ask with adequate faith and God doesn't necessarily answer the prayers of those who are faithful. Uh, so there are various reasons why God may not uh, answer prayer. Sometimes God doesn't answer prayer because we've asked with poor motives. Uh, sometimes we've asked for things that are absurd and God hasn't given us those. So there are various reasons why God may not answer prayers. But I don't believe for a second that those of you who've prayed for those who are ill, those whom you love, uh, and then you know, we pray for someone uh, with a disease, but then they die anyway, and therefore we can lay the fault of that at the person 
at the foot of the person who has been praying. I don't believe that for a second, and I just wanted to make sure that you don't think that that's what I meant, because it's not what I meant at all. You and I, I think, have shared together a common experience. Most of us. The common experience of coming to faith in Jesus and experiencing Jesus working in our lives. When I look around the room this morning, there are all kinds of people here from different cultures, of different ages, different genders, different social strata. We're a lot uh, different. There's an awful lot that's different about us. But the common thing about us is that we have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And our experience of coming to faith in Jesus is something that we share. Now, we may actually have experienced Jesus in different ways. I know people who came to faith in Jesus Christ, gave themselves to him because they were scared to death of burning in hell forever. They heard a sermon that said, sinners are judged by God and they will burn in hell forever. And so I better do something about this. And they did. And that can be very effective for having people come to Jesus. We call those come to Jesus moments. And so people sometimes have come to Jesus in that way. There are other people in this room who had different experiences than that. Uh, When I became a Christian, it wasn't because... The preacher preached on hell, although I actually think he mentioned hell that night. But the reason that I came to faith in Jesus was because I, I needed someone to love me the way that Jesus loved me. And when I heard about this God who loved me like that and gave Jesus because he loved me. And who would forgive my sins because he loved me. It blew me away absolutely blew me away. And so I came to Jesus for that reason. So we may come to Jesus for various reasons and maybe in different ways, but ultimately we come to Jesus Christ. We give ourselves to him in faith. And that is a common experience of knowing Christ. And so this is interesting because if you think about it, like we don't like to get very touchy feely with each other. There's barriers there that we don't like to cross very easily. And so if I all of a sudden came to one of you, maybe someone that I don't know that well, and and I just started blurting out some really significant, deep thing in my life, and I was absolutely serious, you might feel very uncomfortable. Whoa, Kelly, I don't know you that well. I don't, I don't think we, I'm not ready to hear this right now. Don't, 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 don't cry. I can't take this. Okay. Now that, that's a very real possibility that I could have that experience with you. However, it's interesting because when it comes to faith in Jesus, by being here this morning, you are admitting that you've had some kind of experience with God or are searching for some kind of experience with God. And in fact, that's a profound experience. Like you can't come here this morning and say, well, I just came here for some light moment. To talk about spirituality in your life and the deep things of God and how those impact your life, that's actually a deep kind of experience. 
That can be gut-wrenching. That can be heart-breaking or heart-building. That can be spirit-building. That can be self-challenging. That makes you vulnerable. And so while we don't get too personal with each other on a Sunday morning like this, nonetheless, there's some vulnerability there. If I saw you at the grocery store this week, I could very well walk up to you and say, boy, it was great to worship with you on Sunday. And the experience that I had of worship with God between you and me as we were there together, that was really meaningful for me. Now, again, you might think, wait a minute, I'm just getting groceries. Okay, I can't I can't really take this right now. And I would be in your space and maybe in your face. And you would prefer that I just back away. But the fact is, again, you're here this morning. And so we have to admit there's something going on between you and me. We have experienced spirituality. We've experienced God. We've experienced Jesus in some common way. Now, what's also beautiful is that when you reflect on the New Testament church and what they experienced, you and I experience what they experienced. It transcends the ages. There's 2,000 years, over 2,000 years gap between your experiences of God and theirs. And my experience of God and theirs. A big time gap. But nonetheless, what the experience of God and what you and I experience of God is essentially the same. And they they were different people, different contexts, different ideas were floating around. But they experienced Jesus as Savior. And so have you. And they experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And so have you. And it's real. It's authentic. Again, you're not here this morning just because you've got nothing better to do. You're here this morning because something has happened between you and God. And when they met together and the Holy Spirit was working among them, they were together because God was doing something there also. And it was a similar kind of experience between them and you and me. Now, if that's the case, when I read my Bible and I see something going on in the New Testament church, I get excited about what God did then because God could do that now. That experience that they had could be my experience. I don't think that God says, I'm just going to give that to the first century and not here. Maybe some things, but not certainly his presence. Certainly not just our experience of meeting the Lord and receiving his salvation. That is a common experience through the ages. And in fact, it's a common experience for God to do something within the church, something exciting in our world through his presence in the church. And that is exactly what happens at the very end of Acts chapter 12, moving into Acts chapter 13. So I want to look at these verses again that Curtis read a few minutes ago. Look in your Bibles at Acts chapter 12, verse 25, and then moving into Acts chapter 13. says in verse 25, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. They had taken some money to meet the needs of a famine. And in the church at Antioch, it says, 
There were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, in one sense, this seems a bit innocuous. A couple of missionaries are chosen. The church appoints them. And they go off to conduct the first missionary journey, as we've come to know it. But there is so much more here than just the sending off of two missionaries. There is, in fact, the presence of God in the process as these two men are chosen to go and represent him before our world. And I want you to focus for a moment just on verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Clearly, when the early church was meeting and participating in worship, focusing on God, God chose at that moment to come and do something among them. And it was not a small event. I said a moment ago, well, it seems like it's just the setting aside of two missionaries to go into the world. Well, it wasn't just the setting aside of two missionaries. It was the beginning of the whole missional effort of the church to take the gospel into the world. And when it happens, it is not a human decision. When it happens, it is not just an isolated human event where they're in this by themselves trying to make decisions and do the best they can. They were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting. They were praying. They were longing for God to come and do something among them. Every heart was focused on trying to do his will. Every heart was focused on getting the the word out about Jesus. And they recognized that if the world had any hope at all, it was only through the taking of the good news of Christ to the world that that hope was going to be fulfilled. And so they didn't take this lightly. We saw last week that when Peter was in jail, the church met together and they prayed all night long to free this fellow from jail. They didn't do that just because they were concerned about Peter's life. They were concerned about the future of the church. Peter was an apostle. He was one of Jesus' right-hand men. And they wanted so badly for this person to have a role in the world and to do powerful things for God. And so they knew Peter's got to stay alive. Herod has already killed James. We can't have him killing Peter. We need to pray about this. And so they stayed up all night long so that Peter wouldn't be killed. And we know the rest of the story. He comes to the door. They don't recognize it. It takes them for a while while to catch on. But they saw what happened when they prayed. And it leads them to continue praying. It leads them to continue to be open for God to come and do things among them. And so when they're worshiping and fasting, it's not that that nothing is on their minds. 
it would seem to me something specific is on their minds. God, how are we going to make this thing happen? How are we going to make this thing flourish? We want to move forward, Lord, and we need you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I fast, it is because something has drawn my attention. I'm the kind of person who gets up in the morning and I have breakfast. And then I go through my morning and after a while I say to Chris and Peter, it's time to eat. And Chris and Peter say, yes, let's eat. Or sometimes Chris will say, I'm hungry, let's eat. And so we eat together. And then I go home at night and I'm blessed with a wonderful wife. She gets off at 3.30. She comes home. She prepares dinner. I probably haven't fixed a meal at night in five years. Okay? Those of you who are thinking, what a cad. I guess I freely admit it. I just confessed. Okay? But supper is there for me. And so I'm very used to the three meals a day thing. Uh, I probably could do with less. But I'm used to that. Fasting is unusual. I don't fast very often. And so if I do fast, it's because there is something on my mind, something I want to happen, some kind of connection that I want to occur between myself and God. Fasting is a special kind of event in my life. I don't think it was that much different for them. They couldn't just go without food for long periods of time without thinking about it. They had to eat too. This is very intentional. We're worshiping the Lord together and fasting with a purpose. Not just to do it. And then, when they have been worshiping the Lord in that way, God comes. And His Holy Spirit doesn't just set aside two guys and say, Go preach. The Holy Spirit chooses Paul and changes the world. And what I want to say this morning, what I want to ask is, is there any reason why this can't be us? Is there any reason why the Holy Spirit can't come and do the same thing among us. And my conclusion is, no. There is no reason why this can't happen. There is no reason why God's Spirit can't come and, and specifically do something that will initiate a movement to draw people to Himself. He has done that before. He can do that again. And that's why it's so crucial that the church pray. It's so crucial that the church worship and understand what it's doing when it is worshiping. It's important that the church follows the biblical example and fasts together about these things. And when we do... When we worship with that kind of intention and spirituality, when we fast with that kind of intentionality, when we are asking God to bless us in this way, is there any of us who thinks, no, he won't? He's not ready, he doesn't want to do that? 
Of course not. He wants to do this among us. He wants to bless us in this way. And so there's a call here. There's a call to the church to participate in worship and prayer and fasting, asking God to bless us, that we might take his word into the world and have the kind of influence on our world that the early church had because God blessed them. As you read further in the story, it says in verse 3, So after they had fasted and prayed, they keep doing this. After they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Notice what the next verse says. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it be wonderful to think that every time you walked out your door, you were being sent on your way by the Holy Spirit? Doesn't God in some way want to bless us just like that? He wants us to be those who go into our world with his word, sent on the way by the Holy Spirit. Like my impression of this text is, if we gave ourselves to prayer like that, if we were so devoted and focused and fasted and and just gave our attention to the mission like this, that when you walked out your door in the morning to go to work, that God would be sending you on your way with the Holy Spirit right there with you. Blessing you as you go. What could be better than that? And again, you think, well, you know, is that what God was really doing with the Holy Spirit? When you read through the rest of this text, that's exactly what happened. Things didn't necessarily go smoothly as they went to Cyprus. There were some questions. People wondered who they were, wondered what was going on. Look at verse 9. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time and you'll be unable to see the light of the sun. Why could Paul do that? Why could Paul all of a sudden call blindness on somebody? There's only one explanation. And it's not Paul's innate ability. It's because Paul knew that the Holy Spirit was with him when he went into the world with the gospel. Do we know the same? Do we get this? Do we know that the Spirit is there as we take the good news of Christ into the world? It says, immediately mist and darkness came over him. He groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. For he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Well, how is it that this proconsul becomes convinced, amazed at the teaching of the Lord? It all has to do, it starts with, it ends with, it is governed by completely the presence of the Spirit in the life and the ministry of the church. I've said before, the book of Acts should not be called the book of Acts. That's not a divine title. The church sometime gave that title to the book. I wish the book of Acts, instead of being called the book of Acts, was called the books of the Acts of the Holy Spirit instead of the books of the Acts of the Apostles. Because it's really the Holy Spirit who is about the work that happens there. And this is something that the church must be open to. Waiting for. Accessing. Allowing to come in and work among us. I know he wants to. He does. God wants to work in this way among us.
Is there anything more exciting than that? Some of you have read the book Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. It's about a minister at a little tiny church in Brooklyn, New York. Jim Cimbala goes to this little church, gets there, and the furnace doesn't work. It's November. It's freezing cold. He goes down in the basement. He's got a furnace that's fallen apart and no money to fix it. He's got a building that's falling down all the way around him. He's got people who are selling drugs on the doorstep of the church building, shooting up. And if you don't think that sounds like our church building, it does. We have the same kind of things happen here, just out back. Didn't know what to do. After a few months, things had gone downhill. They started badly. They got worse the longer he was there. There was no progress made. God didn't seem to be blessing them. Again, the building is falling down around him. They have no money. Nobody's coming. The picture is not good. So Simbola asks his people to start getting together on Tuesday nights to pray. They started meeting on Tuesday nights. It was their prayer night. He said, sometimes we get together to pray. Heroin addicts would walk in off the street from the front doors, come in and sit in the auditorium with us while we were up front praying. And over time, God began to work. God began to transform things and people. And now there's not that many people who haven't heard something about the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir that Jim Symbol's wife leads. And there are thousands of people who meet together in Brooklyn, New York, in a ghetto area serving Jesus. And thousands have come to Christ. And if you were to call Jim Cimbala today and ask him why that happened, or if he were to pick up his book and read why it happened, he would attribute it to one thing and one thing only. People getting together on a Tuesday night and praying. And if you went to Paul and you said, Paul, how is it that you somehow were able to go into the world, you and Barnabas and a handful of others, and to literally transform the Roman Empire. How did you do that, Paul? I think Paul would probably say, you know, it started at Antioch. When we got together and started to pray. And when we did, the Holy Spirit came and he set apart Barnabas and me and said, go into the world. And we did. And when we went, we were not alone. And his spirit was with us so that everywhere we went, good things happened. And people kept listening and they were converting to Jesus Becoming Christians and the world slowly but surely through the preaching of those people was completely changed. And it happened because of the Holy Spirit being present in the life of the church in response to the prayers of God's people. Now Jim Cimbala would say that he saw it again. It wasn't just in Acts 13, but it happened in Brooklyn. And we could no doubt make a lot of phone calls and write some letters and emails and we would get countless people who've said we've had that same experience.
don't you want it here? Don't you want it here? Don't you want God to work among us so powerfully that we all just stand back in awe and watch him work? Don't you want to just see the Holy Spirit pour down his blessings on us as we reach into the world for Jesus and people's ears and hearts are opened by the gospel and they're transformed? I do. Oh, I do. And I absolutely believe that it can happen again. But it will happen in response to the prayers and the fasting and the devotion of God's people. It won't happen because we were really astute at planning for it. It won't happen because we were brilliant organizers. It won't happen because we had the very best leaders possible. It will happen because the Holy Spirit came in response to the prayers of the church. So let's pray. God, we are weak and blind. We lack vision. We lack strength. We sometimes sin. There are a lot of good reasons, God, for you not to work among us, to not be able to. But Lord God, we pray nonetheless that despite our inadequacies and our weaknesses, our inabilities, our sinfulness, we pray, O Lord, that you come and fill us. That you come and do something that has never been done here before. That you use us in a powerful way in our community to reach people for you. Send us where you need us to go and help us to always say yes. And when we go, go with us. Take us, God. Make us powerful only in you. And make it happen again. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen.